This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Well, that was beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. It is all about you. I am absolutely loving this series of studying God. It has been blowing my mind week after week after week after week, and I hope it has been for you guys too. Uh, has anyone learned anything in here? Has anyone had their mind stretched just a little bit through the, through the series? Awesome. Thank you, guys. A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it's going to direct our words, our actions, our thoughts, and even the very purposes of our lives. The higher our view is of God, the greater our worship is going to be. And the higher our view is of God, the smaller our view of ourself becomes which is a little uncomfortable. So far, we've talked about, I think we have a list up here. We talked about how he is self-existent, self-sufficient. He is, just put up the list of all of them. He is the creator. He's all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere present. And because he is these things, he is sovereign. He has the right to rule all of his creation. Which, just yell back to me, which one of these was your favorite so far? Omnipotent, all-powerful. Which one? Sovereign. Yeah, that one. Woo, that kicked my butt. Omnipresent. Boy, I really loved last week's. All right, so tonight we are looking at God's nature as Trinity. And it's, it's this challenge that the church has wrestled with since Jesus. And we're going to try to, we're not going to solve a mystery tonight, but we are going to try to define a mystery tonight. You see, God is transcendent. He's above. He's other. God is not creation. He is other than creation. He is above creation. And so we as created beings, the challenge for us is that we are not. If he is transcendent, if he is up here, and we are fallible and flawed and sinful and flesh, skin, we're walking dirt, then the only way that we are going to know a transcendent other God is for him to make up the difference, for him to cross the distance to us, to speak to us, to reveal his nature to us. And yet, he chooses what he wants to reveal. And even what we look at is so mind-bending that we don't fully understand it. And so God is just full of mystery to us. Our faith is a mystery. If you ever look at a religion and they have everything figured out, That is a religion with a very tiny God, probably because they made it up. But we serve a God that is bigger and beyond understanding. I love what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. It says that God, he has put eternity into a man's heart. He's put something eternal into us. Yet so that he, talking about he or she, cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. Like God has put this spark, has stamped his image on us, and yet... Being created beings, we can't even wrap our minds around who God is or what he's doing. I've told this story before, but I want to like put in context tonight. 
Y'all remember the story of Augustine. I told it way back at the beginning of the series. He was writing the book on the Trinity. It is Augustine's book that was a collection of all the things that the church, all the things that the church fathers wrestled with to understand the Trinity. And in the middle of this, his mind was blown and he just needed to take a walk. So he goes on this walk and he's praying and he's walking beside the seashore and he's trying to figure out like, Lord, how could I, how could I take what we know about you and, and put it into a book? How do I take the Trinity and make it understandable? And he sees this little boy who has taken a seashell and he's dug a hole in the sand and he's running back and forth from the water and he's pouring the water into the hole. And he watches this kid. He's just, you know, back and forth. So Augustine is like, what is going on? So he goes over to the kid and he says, what are you doing, young man? And the boy says this. He says, I am emptying the ocean into that hole. And something clicked for him. And it was then that he realized that we are finite. We're small. We're created beings. Our minds are like that hole and God is like this infinite ocean. And there's just no way. It It is impossible to take the ocean of who God is and put it into our understanding. And he was able to not solve a mystery, but to come to peace with mystery. Our key verse for tonight is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It's called the Shema in the Jewish language, Hebrew. And they would, the good Jews, would quote this every single day. And it is a reminder of who God is and what his expectation of his people is. Hear, O Israel, and those who follow Jesus are the new Israel. Hear God's people, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Yahweh our God is one. The New Testament writers were given a truth, not a theory, but a mystery. That Jesus was the son of God. Now, these are the good Jewish boys that grew up quoting every day, Yahweh our God is one. And they had to revisit the scriptures with this new revelation of Jesus saying, I am God. I am God's son. And so they worked tirelessly to try to understand this mystery. And so I want to look briefly at this mystery that they wrestled with. So we know we begin at God is one. That was the Shema, the Lord God, he is one. Isaiah 45, 20 through 24 says, there is no other God beside me. God looked around, and there was nobody up there with him. He alone was God. And he reveals himself as a father. This one God, the creator of the universe, formed man, stamps his image on him, and we see throughout the scriptures that he calls himself a father. Isaiah 64, 8, O Yahweh, you are our father. We're the clay, and you are the potter. Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? We see this again in the New Testament passages. Remember, Jesus says, when you pray, address God as Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Romans 8.15, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. 1 John 3.1, see how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. Now brace yourself. I'm going to cover a lot of scripture tonight. Because as sensitive and challenging as the subject of the Trinity is, I want everything to be backed up. There is heresy and robbing the ideas of the Trinity to try to jam this into being one God. 
And there are heresies around us all the time. Heresy is something that is counter to what is orthodox understanding of Christianity. But then the disciples met Jesus. And Jesus did miracles that only God could do. He fulfilled scriptures that God said he would fulfill himself. Jesus raised people from the dead and gave them life, which only comes from God because God is the self-sufficient, self-existent holder of all life. And then Jesus goes a step further and raises himself from the dead. And so the, the apostles have to wrap their minds around, there is God the Father, and then they searched the scriptures and they started finding really cool stuff. Stuff like maybe these sightings of God in the Old Testament being both God and a second. Things like beginning at the beginning, Genesis 3.8, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Is that just like metaphorically? Or could this be a pre-incarnate Christ that was with Adam and Eve? You also find, and I challenge you, go study out the character called the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh throughout the Old Testament, he acts in God-like authority. He speaks to God, but then he's also called Yahweh, but it also says that he was sent by Yahweh. So you have this, I am God, and yet I am sent by God. That starts happening. Go and study the angel of the Lord. He's such a cool character. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown in the fire. What does Nebuchadnezzar say? I see what? I see like a fourth person. And they, they have the face of the son of a God. And then you have this Messiah who is called to come. He's called the son of David or the son of man. The son of man with the understanding that he would be skin and bones and yet he would have an eternal kingdom that would last forever. That he would do things such as forgive sins which no one but God can do. Psalm 110.1 is the one, one of the verses that Jesus uses. He says, he's quoting David and David says this, Yahweh said to my Lord. So wait a minute. David is saying that he has a Lord and God, Yahweh, talked to him. So we have like some sort of strange duality. Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then we have Malachi 3.1. Behold, this is God speaking, I send my messenger. Okay, well the messenger could be a person. It could be John the Baptist. And he will prepare the way for me. And Yahweh, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant whom whom you delight. So Yahweh is saying, I am sending a messenger. The messenger is Yahweh who is coming to his temple. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. So you have this duality. The New Testament writers were confronted with this, and they had to wrestle around and around. And the very people that walk with Jesus wrote things like 1 Corinthians 8.6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom all exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through all exist. So Jesus is both equal with God and God. John 1, 1 through 5 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. You see how he cycles around back and forth? In, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. 
Consider this, God is transcendent, yet he reveals himself through someone we can see who is a perfect reflection of him. He is the image of the invisible God, the transcendent God. All things are created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Jump forward a little bit. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. We are clearly talking about Jesus. But then there's more. You look at Genesis 1-2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You have this Holy Spirit person. Judges 14-6, and the Spirit of Yahweh came mightily upon him, talking about Samson. There seems to be this indwelling, this empowering through the Spirit of God. Joel 2-28, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh which we see in the New Testament. Jesus himself says, John 14, 16 through 18, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John 20, 22, and when he had said this, talking about Jesus, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Paul writing Galatians 4, 6 says, and because you are the sons of God, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There is three persons. In one God. We see the Trinity. I love this. Right at the beginning, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. The word God there, G-O-D, is from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a plural noun used in a singular way. Let us make God in our image. Isaiah 61, 1-2. You can count them here. The Spirit of Yahweh God is upon me. This is a messianic proverb in Isaiah, talking about the Messiah. Because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Isaiah 48, 12 and 16, I am he, I am the first and the last. Who is speaking? Who is the only person that qualifies as the first and the last? It's God. And now, Yahweh has sent me and his spirit. In the New Testament, we see it again. At Jesus' baptism, what happens? Jesus is being baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, and the Spirit descends like a dove. We have a picture of three. John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, Go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 32-33, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. These are the people that knew Jesus, who walked with him, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Now where do we begin? How do we wrap our minds around one God who makes it very clear, here, my people, I am one, and then reveals himself in a trinity. Where do we begin? We begin with one God, and we see that he has three distinctive roles or personas. And for fun, I want to show this great video 
that makes fun of the many analogies that we try to use to wrap our minds around what is infinite and beyond our understanding. Roll it! Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star... And the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like... Uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. Oh, you can cut it. <laughs> all right, so we're going to slow that down just a little bit. Let's begin our understanding of the Trinity with what it is not. These are the heresies, the heresies being those beliefs that are contrary to what is true, contrary to what is the orthodox understanding of Christianity. And the first one is tritheism or polytheism. 
the idea that the Trinity are three gods working together, three independent divine beings. And some of the bad analogies that you'll hear that point at this tritheism or polytheism is people that say something like, okay, well, a fork, a knife, and a spoon are all silver. So there's three, but they're all the same substance. And it's because they're misunderstanding the idea of three persons. But the knife is not the same as the spoon. But whenever we look at Jesus, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know that we're not talking about uh, polytheism. The Christian response, we can go back to our key verse for tonight. Hero Israel, Yahweh our God, is one. Isaiah 45, 20 through 24, there is no other God besides me. Another one of the bad analogies for this is there is the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and the Indian Ocean, but they're all water. Yes, but they are not the same ocean. Another one that is really, really common, and actually common still preached today, is modalism. I love it. That's modalism, Patrick. People believe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are so singular that what's actually happening is that God is changing modes throughout history. Like today, I'm the Father. I'm going to take off my mask, and I'm going to put on the Son mask, and now I'm going to take off the Son mask, and now I'm the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm saying? Now, some of the bad analogies are, one of the ones that they mentioned is that someone would say, well, a man can be a husband, a father, and a son at the same time. Or water can be the solid, the liquid, and vapor. Or a person is both is all soul, spirit, and body. But we know that it's not modalism because consider the Christian responses. John 17, 5, Jesus is praying in the garden, and Jesus is not praying, saying, Oh, me, let this cup pass from me. There's not the baptism of Jesus, and Jesus is saying, My beloved me and who I'm well pleased. No, you have Jesus who is praying to the Father. We have Jesus who is sending the Holy Spirit. So it can't be modalism. This would deny that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever if he is changing identities or changing modes. This also removes God's fathership of Jesus at the same time. The third heresy is called Arianism, and it's the idea that the Son and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father, which would rob them of being co-eternal, because if they were created, then they had a beginning point. And it would rob them of being co-equal in power if they had to be created. One of the things that people will argue is they'll say, well, Jesus was submitted to the Father and sent by the Father, so he must be lesser than the Father. But Philippians 2, 6-8 through 8, makes it clear that Jesus emptied himself out of obedience, but he did not have a problem with being equal to God. Some of the bad analogies are, like they mentioned, the sun. People will say, well, the sun has heat and it has light, but the heat and light are creations of the sun, so it's a bad analogy. Another thing that people will say is the Father speaks and the Son is the Word, leaning on John 1.1, 1, 1, and the Holy Spirit is his breath. But again, that would imply that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father. They're both bad analogies. The Christian response, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Philippians 2, 6-8, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. And then the fourth one I want to point out that the Trinity is not is partialism. And that's the idea that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each components of one God. 
That would be a bad analogy. It might be like this egg is the shell, the white, and the yolk. Yeah, but that means, or, or the apple is the skin and the meat and the seeds, or, or um, there's a three-leaf clover. But then that would mean that each part represented only one-third of God. And that's not true. Each part is fully all God. All of who God is, is completely within the Holy Spirit, completely within the Son, completely within the Father, all at the same time. The Christian response, like I mentioned earlier, John 14, 7 through 10, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. We'll believe it if you show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so all of who the Father is, is in Jesus. All of who the Son is, is in the Holy Spirit. They are connected. That's how Jesus can say, I have to leave but send the Helper. And at the same time, he'll say, but I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Because all of who he is, is also in the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? You're like, <laughs> let's exp- expand our brains a little bit. Let's wrap our minds around the fact that God is such a mystery that he is worthy of all of our praise. So where do we begin? In obedience to Jesus' teaching, his apostles had disciples. They made disciples. And we know the names of some of them. Names like Ignatius and Polycarp and Clement of Rome. And we know that those disciples believed in a trinity. In their writings, we can see the belief of a trinity. But those disciples quickly started dying out because of a new wave of persecution. And so it was their disciples, the apostles' disciples' disciples, that came up against major heresies. One of the biggest ones is Gnosticism, which I don't have time to tackle right now. But also, modalism was really coming up, and Arianism was coming up. So these disciples, the disciples of the apostles, had to work out, argue, debate, and figure out how to define what they see in scriptures, what they see in who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. And they sat down and spent tons of time working this out. Some of those people who are the heroes in this were Irenaeus, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Athanasius, and Augustine. I mentioned Augustine earlier. I just say those names, you don't have to memorize them, but when you hear those again, I'd like you to be like, oh yeah, that person's special, related to the Trinity. It was Tertullian who actually developed the word Trinity, three in perfect unity. And then he further went on to define God as three personas in one substance or one essence. A persona meaning acting out a role or a purpose, and substance meaning everything that God is, is consistent across all of them at the same time. Irenaeus worked hard to define what each of those roles were that we saw in the Bible. We saw that there was, at creation, there was an emphasis on the Father being the creator and the ruler, the sovereign ruler. There's an emphasis of the Son in our redemption. He destroys sin, and he is the restorer of our relationship with God. There's an emphasis of the Spirit as the cleanser of God's people and the empowerer of his people who is expanding God's kingdom throughout the world. I love how the Trinity is summed up. This is a quote from the 11th Council of Toledo. Holy Toledo. This is the way of speaking about the Holy Trinity as it has been handed down. It must not be spoken of or believed to be threefold, triplex, but to be Trinity. 
nor can it properly be said that in the one God there is the Trinity. Rather, the one God is the Trinity. While they are called three persons in view of their relations, we believe in one nature or substance. By the time we get to 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea had locked this down, this understanding of who the Trinity is, and they put out the Nicene Creed. Has anyone heard the Nicene Creed? Anyone with the Catholic backgrounds, you probably memorized this. The Nicene Creed. Your challenge tonight is going to be go and Google it and read it. So one of the ancient things that we have, we call it the shield of the Trinity. It looks like this. This is a picture. And this kind of helps us <laughs> at least digest the mystery, if not solve it. And here it is. We know that the Father is not the Son, but the Father is God and the Son is God. We know that the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And we know the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but the Holy Spirit is God and the Father is God. This is the mystery. This is where the Jews punch out. This is where Islam punches out. This is solely and beautifully a Christian belief and understanding of who our God is. Leave this up, please. The Athanasian Creed is one of the simplest, most beautiful explanations of this picture. It simply says, We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither blending the persons nor dividing the substance. There is both unity and there is diversity within the Godhead, within who God is, within who Yahweh is. And if you start thinking like, this is just, this is confusing. Remember that guy, Augustine? I love his quote. If you can comprehend it, it cannot be God. God is awesome, complex, mysterious, and majestic. And this should move us to awe of who he is. There's two aspects to this that I do not want to leave without passing these off to you because they help us just a little bit. The first one is a fancy word called appropriation. And this is the idea that everything, every work that God does, all are completely involved in it. At the work of the cross, we see Jesus on the cross. He is bringing redemption, and yet the Father and Holy Spirit are equally completely involved. At creation, we see that the Father is creating, and yet the Holy Spirit and Jesus are equally involved. That's why the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him everything was created. That's why at creation we see that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters when everything is still formless and empty because they are all working together in the same purpose in the same direction. And the other fancy word is called mutual interpermeation, which means that all of each member of the Godhead completely permeates each of the other members. They're working together. This is why Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm going away, sending the helper, but I'll always be with you. Now let's move this from head to heart a little bit. And this is where just things get mind-blowing for me personally. Are you ready for this? Yeah? All right. The theologian Karl Barth said this, the Trinity is not the final revelation of God, as if it's the final word spoken, but the first before revelation is even possible. Its subject matter makes everything else we know about God possible. Now, why is that true? Why did the Trinity have to be true before we could even know God? Why does this have to be an age-old, eternally that direction 
both directions on the timeline truth. If I was to say, when did God become triune? There was no time. It is eternity past. He is unchanging. He is the fancy word immutable. Why is this important? Because if God is a God of love and God does love and he is unchanging, if he is self-sufficient before creation, who is he loving? Because to say that he was at one point not a God who was love and loving and is after creation a God who is loving, then God had to change. Or you really get stuck in the heresy of God was compelled to create so he could love something. But we know God is self-sufficient, holy and complete and satisfied unto himself because he is Trinity. If God speaks, if God is a God who communicates before creation, who is he speaking to? To whom was he communicating? And so because God is Trinity, therefore, he is a God of love and he is a God who speaks. Meaning, the God of the Bible must be triune or he is not the God of the Bible. He is a God of diversity in unity. And he would not be capable of relationship if he wasn't the Trinity. The Trinity is not the final revelation of God, but the first before revelation is even possible. It makes everything else we know about God possible. Christianity is the only faith on the planet that love precedes life. Think about that. There was already love in existence before there was ever creation. And then, out of God's sovereign choosing, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God of relationship, the God who speaks, desires, and is pursuing relationship with you and with me. Richard Sibbs says, how shall the finite, me, you, the temporary, the created, how shall the finite create, comprehend the infinite? Get this. We shall apprehend him, but not comprehend him. Our minds may never be able to wrap around an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, aseity, creator, sovereign, trinity, God. But God, in his love, has made up the distance so that even though we can't comprehend him, he's allowed us to apprehend him, to know him through Jesus Christ, by grace, through our faith. We won't ever understand him. But elevate. Do you know him? Have you said yes to apprehending him? And I'm telling you, it's not a matter of works. There's no perfect formula. There is simply our turning our hearts towards him and saying, Lord, I am yours. I believe that your son died and rose again for me. I give you my sin. 
I'm yours. That's it. Everything else had to be done by him. He did the work at the cross. He called out to us. He revealed who he is. If you ever question your salvation, what you really need to question is not your faithfulness. You need to question Jesus' faithfulness. Is Jesus faithful? It's never been based on your works or what you can do to earn God's favor. It's never been based on your merit. If you have said yes to him, if you believe in him, if you have given him your life, it didn't matter if you had an emotional experience and you believed really, really hard, or if in your sinner's prayer you said all the right words. From the beginning to the end, all that matters is that God is faithful. What a God we serve. We can stand before God someday, (laughs) and he can say, you know what? You didn't always get it right. Thank you for trying. It was enough. I made up the difference. You will never have to worry about standing before God and God goes, you just didn't do it right. Sorry. You stand before a God of grace that is looking. Remember that parable of the three servants and the master gives them different amounts of money? Remember that one? And the two come back and they're like, we invested, we did the best we could, and they didn't even have the same amount, and yet they get the same reception, right? And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Didn't matter if you have this number of money or this number of money. And then the third guy comes back. And he has nothing more than what was given to him because he buried it. And what was God's response? You could have at least invested. Like, what's God's heart here? God's heart is, you didn't even try. These guys, they put themselves out there, for better, for worse, for success or failure. I'm not asking for success. I'm just asking that, just asking that you try, that you put your heart out there. I'll make up the distance. I'm the transcendent one. What a God we serve. What a God of love. What a God of grace. Do you know him? Have you given your life to him fully? Are you in the lane of trying, of chasing, of running, of serving. Recap. We must approach God with the understanding he is greater, deeper, and more complex than we will ever comprehend. We worship one God. Three, he's revealed through scripture that he is one God and three persons, trinity, diversity in unity. For his triune nature is the foundation for understanding the God of the Bible and how he's at work in his creation and our salvation. And five, his triune nature is the foundation for our relationship with him. So here's your two challenges. The first one is simple. You can do this before you leave tonight. Google the Nicene Creed. It looks like that. N-I-C-E-N-E. Nicene Creed. And read it. This is the statement of what we believe as our God in Trinity and the different roles that God operates in. Your second challenge is as you read this, come up with two questions about the Nicene Creed. Because it's not scripture, it is a creed. Come up with two questions. What, what does this mean? What is this talking about? How could this be true? Open your Bible, use Google or concordance or something, and search out answers to those two questions that you have while you're reading the Nicene Creed. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. 
You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for your nature. That you are all-powerful. That all life is in you. That you are with us no matter where we are. That you are triune. Thank you, Lord, that you would extend relationship to us. We who are unworthy. And yet you put value on us. You turn the spotlight of your attention and place it on your people. Oh, Lord, I pray that every man and woman in this room has or will call on you to be their Savior. So we can have a reunion in heaven, a 42821 reunion in heaven, and everyone in this room is present. Lord, pursue your people. Lord, I pray for students that are wrestling with tests and ACT prep and end-of-the-year stuff, and there's so many things they're juggling. Lord, I pray that you'll be with them. Give them grace. Open up their minds for learning and memorization. Help things come back to them in their studies and in their tests. Give them support from their families. Help them have wisdom in how they manage their time. Thank you, Lord, that you're present with your people. We give all these things to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.